I don't really care about what people think. I have my own goals and the things I want to do in life are for myself, for people. But uh, then I don't really mind if people agree with me, if they like what I do, or if they don't like what I do. I just do it, you know, because I don't like validation. I think a lot of people need validation to do what they do. And uh, for me, I try to avoid this bias of being validated by others. So having people telling me that what I do is good, I don't want this because then you... You only do what other people want you to do, right? Then I also don't want to do the contrary. So I don't want to do only what people don't want me to do because some people also do that. Like they, they always go against what other people think. I used to be like this, I think in teenagehood and in my young years, but I don't want to do that anymore. So now I just do whatever I do. Hello everyone, my name is Dean Long and welcome to the podcast Lifeline. In this podcast, I will interview people who are having a positive impact in their community and have a strong message that deserves to be shared. We will dive deeper into their journey becoming a change maker and hopefully you can take away some insights for your own journey. And please do subscribe to Lifeline on YouTube, Apple Podcasts or any platform that you are using. And also you can share this episode with your friends if you like it. It's really what helps me the most. In today's episode, you will be meeting Tuan, a French-Vietnamese PhD student who is exploring the coffee of tomorrow, or in other words, the coffee that can adapt to climate change. He is passionate about popular science, tried to be a renowned YouTuber and has been writing about environment, climate, coffee and his daily life stories on his personal medium blog since 2015. We discuss about the journey of discovery that led him studying coffee for his PhD, what the coffee of tomorrow might look like and his secret to continue publishing hundreds of articles week after week. Enjoy this episode and see you in one hour and 40 minutes. Hello, Tuan. How are you? Hello, Dinh Long. Good, good. I'm good. I'm a bit cold in the northwest of Vietnam. Pretty cold, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, you just told me it was between zero and five degrees. Uh, well, for me, it's 30, 30 degrees in Cambodia, so I, I feel lucky now. Um, but anyway, Tuan, I'm super, super happy to have you on Lifeline Podcast today. Um, so I always start to remind a bit how I, I know the guests that I'm inviting on Lifeline. Actually, for you, it's a funny story because we met indirectly via the Learning Hub because I heard that French Vietnamese guy went to the learning hub. So I asked for the name of this person. I found you. So I sent a few messages and you were like, who the fuck is Dean Long <laughs> sending me a lot of messages? But then you arrived in Paris. So we met via William that I also interviewed in Lifeline. Um, and yeah, no, I then, and since then we got in touch. Um, you moved to, you are in Vietnam right now, uh, but we've met one time in Bangkok. We had some pad thai. And yeah, you're doing a lot of amazing stuff. Um, but before, yeah, before we, I start asking you many questions, uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Where, like who you are? Where do you come from? Where you are now? Anything that you want to share to start? So I'm, I'm Tuan um, and I'm from, like I was born in Vietnam. Uh, then I moved to France when I was young, and uh, I just came back in Vietnam two years ago. 
to to work uh, like after my my master degree I was looking for like a like a PhD and I didn't find it so I work uh, sometime for uh, an NGO in Hanoi and then I started my PhD in September 2020 so last year already and and now I'm doing my PhD on coffee in, in Vietnam so looking at uh, new varieties of coffee and how they grow uh, under like agroforestry systems under shade trees and in the context of climate change because now uh, things are getting warmer not in Sun Lab but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and um and uh, I'm I'm very happy to do that. I guess yeah, I like it. Uh, it's a bit cold, but um, like it's a lot of different activities and things to learn. Yeah. Cool. So I mean, well, welcome back to that. We'll have a lot of time to speak about coffee, about Sunla. Um, but first, I've been stalking you, trying to read as many articles as possible, videos of you, and one thing I, I. I, I took out from your Medium profile is your Medium bio, bio. So it says that you are SDG warrior, world citizen, capitalist hippie, scientist, polyglot, storyteller, writer, earthling, tree hugger, food lover, adoptee, and otaku. So that's a lot of things. So that's super cool. Uh, what do you say among all these words? Um, what is the first thing that you realized or you develop, if that makes sense? Like a thing I'm developing right now, right? Like growing. Yeah, because I, I felt like these are all different identities of you. Yeah, I came from more like a, a side of uh, like kind of professional ambitions uh, or like SDG warriors or things that I want to do more like in professional life. And then I came into like more personal stuff, like otaku, right? Uh, which is like people fan of, of Japanese stuff, which is completely personal. I don't really have uh, any uh, like ambitions, like professionally, to to do animes or those kind of things. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the 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 order is more like from professional to personal, and I think I I try to go into more like. Uh, order of priorities what I, I, I feel more like I'm I want to do or I'm doing. Like SDG Warrior, I think it's I think most of the things I try to do, uh, I think they are trying they are all related to um, development, sustainable development goals. And uh, climate change is a top top one because that's uh, one of the big ones and that's where also I did my studies. So yeah SDG Warrior is pretty good. Then after I don't know, I think you have like a uh, storyteller. I like to tell stories. Um, so there are different things about things I like and things I do yeah, in this list. Well, I guess it's different identities you added over the years. But like, for example, if we... How old are you now? You're 25? 20, almost 25, yeah. Okay. So let's say seven years ago, you were 18. Would all these words also apply to the 18 years, years old twin? No. I was 18. So when I was 18, I probably didn't know much about like development, climate change, problems of the world in general. Uh, I think uh, when I was 18, 
I I was, you know, when you're young, you're still looking for what you want to do, uh, what you are. So when I was 18, like studying university, oh yeah, when I was 18, the thing that I wanted to do was to travel. So I wanted to go in all countries, learn all languages, and discover new cultures, meet new people. Uh, so I, I studied a bachelor degree in, in biology because I also loved nature at the time. Like I loved animals, plants, ecology. And in the third year, I, I started my great trip uh, around the world. So uh, for my third year of uh, bachelor, I, I went to Mexico uh, to study for one year. Then I moved to Canada for an internship. Then to Germany for my master degree. Then Singapore for like one semester in Singapore and now Vietnam. So I did like this kind of round trip around the globe, which was really cool. And and that was like the main priority when I was 18. And then when I said to be like 21 or during my master degree, I realized that just traveling and having fun is not fun anymore. Right? Like like discovering new things. It gets boring at some point. It's, it makes no points, like no sense, like no meaning. So I decided to look for like something more meaningful to do. And that's how I came into uh, wanting to work in, in climate change, sustainable development goals, and helping the, the world to grow, right? Not traveling anymore for, for nothing. So yeah, I think that's how I, the process of, of growing here. I think it's very interesting because, I mean, you know, when you say world tour, you know, at least for me, I will think about people who go to like as many countries as possible, stay one week, two week, one month in each country. Okay. But actually, you, what you, I mean, you, you studied one year in Mexico, you worked, I mean, you, and then you say you, it was, I mean, you, you wanted to do, but I, I mean, I find it very interesting because it's, you actually did studying, working in each of these countries. While yeah, I wanted to live. I wanted to live in the country. Yeah. Um, like I, when I was in Mexico, there were some people who, who would like travel in all Latin America for for one year, every weekend, or when they had some vacation, they would go in another country, like Colombia, Costa Rica, etc. But for me, Mexico was so big that it didn't make sense to to go in other countries because Mexico is like the size of Europe. So there are so many things to to visit and to see. And uh, actually, in Mexico, it was a time where I had my YouTube channel, and I really wanted to to make a, like a video a week or something. So I went to travel in different places of Mexico, and also try to like travel inside the place where I was. So a lot of people don't don't discover where they live, right? So what I also wanted to do is to go in a, like a small village next to my my city and, and visit this place, or uh, go to this festival that come every year. Um, or meeting people and see how they live. I even one, I have one video with uh, um, like uh, when when people uh, die in Mexico after 90 years, they do a kind of festival festivity, and I, I went there to film how they were doing it. And like it was not only a traveling like a like space kind of meaning where you travel to different places, but also traveling in inside the people's lives and and discovering like how people think, how they live and why they do what they do, those kind of things. And why did you have this drive to travel and discover other cultures? And why? Because you could have done that in France too, right? 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, I wanted to to learn languages, and uh, I think uh, like it's always better to like people think it's always better to go far away or to different places. Actually, the reason why I went to Mexico in my third year of uh, bachelor was because Mexico was far away and very different from anything I would know. Because uh, I could have gone to like European countries, like uh, it's easy in Europe. You have the Erasmus program. Uh, I could have gone to like maybe Asia because I'm more familiar with it. But no, I wanted to do something completely different and go to Mexico, which is a very different country. I also wanted to learn Spanish actually, yeah, and learn languages. I always love to learn languages because through languages you can really go into the way I, people are thinking and and understand the, the motivation. The, the life and those kind of things. And no, I think I, I, I can feel you because I also chose Mexico for my, I mean, for me, it was for my exchange. And it was a bit the same reason, you know, I don't know anything about this continent. Uh, I don't know anything about Mexico. It's a bit far away. Uh, I want to improve my Spanish. Yeah, let's just go. Um, so we had the same thinking process. It's interesting. Um, and yeah, just, I mean, one, I mean, so another question about, about this period of life, which for me, it's interesting. Why did you, because you're in Vietnam now, why did you decide to go to Vietnam last and not like, not like the first country you go to? So... <laughs> it's interesting. Like, um, so I always wanted to go back to Vietnam to learn the language and understand better my culture and, and my family and the people. So I think it's like a, since I'm 18 or since I'm 15, actually, I wanted to go back to the roots. Uh, but really, on the day-to-day decision making, I think uh, when I was in Germany, I wanted to go back to I wanted to go to a Chinese-speaking country. So first, I applied to China. And then China, as I said, oh, you don't know anything about Chinese, so you shouldn't come because you, you won't be able to follow the courses which are in Chinese. Uh, then I applied to Singapore because Singapore speaks English, and then you can take courses in, in English. I also have a, a good friend. I think we have a good friend together, Dinlong, like a friend who went to, to Singapore for our studies, and so I wanted to go there because photos she, she took were, were great of Singapore, so I, I decided to go there. And once I was in Singapore, I stayed there like four months, four or five months. And, and I thought, hey, Vietnam is very close. Why not just jump in to Vietnam? Because like, it's like two hours flight. And so I decided to, to go to Vietnam. I also got the opportunity, uh, like a professional opportunity, like not really professional because I didn't really get paid, <laughs> but like more running in an NGO and getting an internship, you know, you know, those things, right? So I, I met a guy through another guy who told me that the NGO I was working was looking, or was like uh, happy to, to have me to do an internship there. So I did that for like 10 months. I did an internship. And so then I found a PhD. I sent an email to a summer researcher in Vietnam and, And he said that it was okay to, to give me a, a like a, a kind of research project, and then it took us like like six or like five months to find the scholarship. So I was working on the PhD research project, but I didn't have a scholarship yet. And then we got the scholarship, and so I could officially start 
my PhD with a scholarship on this on September 2020. Yeah, that's a process I went through. <laughs> so welcome back to the to the your PhD. Uh, but first, I want to understand the transition between your will to. I mean, I use your words to be a world citizen, citizen of the world belonging to nowhere and everywhere, to trying to work more on climate change and coffee. Um, I mean, what climate change and coffee, was it an interest before? Or is it something you progressively discovered throughout this, these years? I think climate change is something that came up when I was in my... Uh, master degree. So in my master degree, I had the chance to join some association, like student association, and join some events at the at the FAO, which is part of the United Nations, for example, or at the, another big event that was the Global Landscape Forum. And so in through those events, I met a lot of young people who were really inspired in, in changing the world and, and saving the environment, biodiversity, climate change, uh, and so I just just follow the move and, and did like everybody else and, and try to, to solve those problems. <laughs> and I think it's a very interesting community, like inspiring people. And, and also a good, it's a good goal actually to, to try to solve climate change because, you know, like in a few years, like maybe the earth would be completely different or, or people, yeah, would be different as well. They won't have enough food or water. So yeah, big challenge, interesting. But it's one thing to be interested in climate change because you joined some student clubs and working on your PhD for climate change, right? I, I mean, like, I mean, on on that particular moment, like, did you did you have um, some sort of aha moment, like, oh shit, uh, climate change is, I mean. Yeah, uh, like how to say, could you describe a bit how you, because I feel like, you know, uh, I mean, it's interesting because I'm always trying to understand on climate change, how people you know, move from being aware to take action. I think your case is interesting because uh, it took, didn't take so much time for you to really dedicate all your life to climate change, coffee, agroforestry. Um, but was it because, okay, you, you met all this cool guy, it was nice and you wanted to do be a bit, do a bit like activities like them or was it something else? Um, I think PhD thing is not really related with uh, the climate change thing. Uh, Okay. So on the one side, I like climate change. I want to study. I mean, I want to solve it. It's like more like the, um, what would you say, like the activist part of me. And then in the other side, you have more like the scientist, the curious mind. Like from a young age, I always been curious and try to discover things. When I was younger, I used to listen to scientific podcasts or, or watch YouTube videos about science. So I always love science and the the just the way like the trying to to discover new things and and have a like a keep a new knowledge to to put in my brain or new things to learn and I think a PhD was more like 
getting into the end of, of science. Because if you do a PhD, you are kind of close to the end of what you could do in science. Like very few people can get a job in science then. But the PhD is like, uh, yeah, it's the end of it. So I wanted to do it. Like otherwise I would have felt like I haven't finished and done everything I could have done in my studies or in science. And the first plan was to do, uh, to go into scientific, scientific career, like getting, you know, postdocs and getting a job at a university. Um, but I think now my plans are changing a bit because I feel like sometimes when you work in, in science, you, you're too focused into creating knowledge or doing things that don't have that much impact on the short term. And because climate change is so quick, so I'd like better to have a, an impact on the short term. So I'm not going for a scientific career, but I'm trying to go more uh, a career in development or like in the industry. I think I will try to, to work in the industry of coffee first, and then I will see how it goes. And if it doesn't work, uh, I can create my own company later. Like uh, I have a plan of, of creating like houses, like um, sustainable houses where you get the water from the rain and then use it for irrigation like to develop a kind of house product, like we're building a house like this and then selling this kind of house to like coffee growers or people who are doing agriculture to reuse the water they use when they live in a house and also catch the water from the rain, something like this. Still a vague idea though. When did you realize that you didn't want to have a f full and long scientific career? I think I, or you already knew no, that? I think I, I kind of knew, like, uh, I always knew that I wanted to have some impact in, uh, for climate change and environment. And, uh, and then I think maybe during my master thesis, I realized that, uh, people like researchers in general are too much into looking for funding, writing scientific paper, and they don't communicate much about the findings. So you have a, a whole bunch of scientific knowledge that is uh, interesting, but also not really available for common people. And I think I'd better be in this area, like between the scientific knowledge that is like uh, difficult to access or difficult to understand and the people who use it. So I could be the transition between those two. I think that's where I see my, my scientific career or my, like my career in general. I still like to do science though, but it just really doesn't have much impact. Mm. So coming back to your PhD, um, do, do you know, uh, how is it called? In France, there is this thing called ma thèse en 180 secondes. Where, like people, yeah, you have it in three France. years yeah. on a thesis and they have to, to summarize it in three minutes. Could, could you, <laughs> will you be able to do that now? <laughs> yeah, actually, the, yeah, I can do that. Uh, I can try. Um, so... So climate change is increasing the temperature and changing the, the environmental conditions and the environment is getting drier. And, and for this, uh, 30 years ago, scientists created like new kind of coffee hybrids that uh, grow better. They grow better. That means that they, they produce more fruits and of higher quality. And they started to try those new varieties, those new hybrids on the field, like maybe five, 10 years ago. They started in Latin America first. And in Vietnam, they started in 2018. And, and it, it kind of works. So the trees are really growing well. And uh, this year, we got the first yield and produced well and better than the local, uh, like, uh, coffee variety. And the thing we don't know is, like, why? 
Why do they produce better? Now we know they, we are sure they produce better even here, but why do they produce better? And, and how can we make even better varieties in the future thanks to the knowledge we get with my PhD and the work of other scientists? Like, uh, we look at the, how do they behave? How do they manage their water? You know, coffee, when you see a plant, it doesn't move much, right? But if you know how to look at it, you, you, you can see that they, they kind of change over the year, over the dry season. Like, you can see the leaves getting down or up. You can see, like, uh, like branches dying. Um, if you take, um, if you, if you go underground, you can look at the roots. Um, this is a thing you can easily see. And then if you have expensive machines, you can look at like how much, uh, oxygen they, they release, how much CO2 they eat. And, and this, you can know their activity. What are they doing all the day? Are they walking more during, uh, the midday when it's hot or are they walking more early in the morning? And what do they do? Like, when do they go to sleep? Uh, do they go to sleep at 3 p.m., 4 p.m.? When do they start to, to not do anything anymore? Do, are they active during the night? Like, do they wake up in the night and do some stuff? You don't know. So I look at that, and I think one of my hypotheses is to say that some some hybrids, um, like, uh, work at different time of the day. And so that's why they, they are better at like surviving in different conditions, like warmer weather or drier soil. And after this part on behavior, on the behavior of the plant, we look more at the genetics, which is a part that I don't really understand, but we look at genes, which one is more expressed and, uh, and for which hybrids, in what conditions, and those kind of things. And then we identify the genes that are like uh, expressed more in dry conditions compared to the one in, in wet conditions. And we can say, uh, maybe those genes are related to uh, resistance to drought, those kind of things. Um, we know already, we, kind of, we know like 100 genes like this, we can discover more, but we can also try to understand better the genes that we already know. Um, yeah. This is uh, my PhD in 180 seconds, I guess, or maybe I was a bit longer. <laughs> Hmm. So, just maybe to come back on a few terms you use so that everyone understands, and to recap a bit. So, from what I understand, so obviously, coffee trees, so who produce the coffee cherries and coffee so and coffee beans. Um, Stop me when, when I say something which is not correct. Um, are at high risk because of climate change, because uh, environmental conditions change, because there are more rain, less rain in different parts, or whether it's, it's raining when it's not supposed to rain, or it's not raining when it's supposed to rain. And so to, to counter that, uh, I mean, to counter that, to, to find... So you're trying to find new... I don't know, species of coffee uh, that will survive better in these conditions. Um, so you are tr you are you created a hybrid coffee species. So uh, which is a mix of robusta like, and arabica. Yeah, no, 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 no. Like uh, okay. so the one I'm working on are like hybrids of different arabica varieties. So they okay. took like wild arabica in in Africa in Ethiopia and they they breed it they breed it with a uh, like commercial arabica varieties 
So two Arabica varieties, so the same species, species Copia Arabica, but two cook, two kind of cousins, right? two um, like yeah, two uh, different varieties. So the same species, but different varieties are a bit different in uh, maybe the size, the height, uh, some of things like this, and and they bred those two and they created new coffee varieties, Arabica, still Arabica varieties. And now that's the one we are testing. So the, the thing that was important in this process is that they chose the right wild coffee Arabica variety on the field. So, you know, uh, one species, one coffee species or, or plant species, uh, even it's only one species because they grow in different areas in the country or different countries around the world. They can be very different. So, so in agriculture, they call it varieties. In ecology, we call it like populations, and those populations are different, like 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 Asian and European actually. Like they are the same species, humans, but they, they are from different group. We could we could call them like variety. In English, they call them race, but uh, in agriculture, they could call them like varieties of human. Okay, <laughs> so you planted them. I mean, I mean, not you, but it's it was you, no, your team. I mean, uh, 2018, no, I was not here yet. Okay, no. so your team planted it. Uh, you got the first harvest. You so you saw that the, it was a better yield. So you had more coffee than than yeah. I mean, more so than the local the local variety. Yeah. So there's one local variety here, here coffee arabica. There's one variety that covers most of the of the Vietnamese uh, coffee land in. Uh, for Arabica, and it's uh, called Katimor, and we we know it, the quality the quality is usually bad, and so part of the project was to also bring new new hybrids, new varieties that are of better better quality for the coffee industry in Vietnam. So so we compared the new hybrids, the new varieties, with this uh, local Vietnamese variety. Okay. So you got good result, and now you are trying to understand why. Why does it have better yield? Because you don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah, the yeah, purpose exactly. of your research. Exactly, yeah. Okay. I mean, I can, I can see that the, uh, how to say, the stakes are huge because, I mean, so if you understand how, Why? Why it has better yield? It's wait. Okay, let let me ask like very beginner question. But um, why do you need to understand why it has better yield? So, if we go out of coffee and we look more into plants in general or agriculture, there are a lot of different crops. Like let's say, I think that the main crops we eat represent like maybe. Five, five species, but maybe in all the plants we eat, maybe we have like 100 species of plants that we eat around the world. And uh, coffee is one of them, but we, in general, we need to know how plants work and why some plants are more adapted to drought and hotter weather, like or high CO2 for climate change. You know? And we, know, we need to know what will happen to those plants in general, uh, what will happen to them once uh, climate change will increase the temperature and change the environmental conditions. So we, we rely on those plants. Like most of the products we use, like every day, most of the things we use, we eat, uh, they are plants. Like the clothes you wear, the, 
the, the food you eat, the, the drinks, uh, they're all from plants. So we need to understand why some plants will survive and others not. And then once we know why and how it works, we try, we can try to make new plants that are working under climate change. So the old way of doing it is to do breeding. So we, we take like a, a resistant plant with a, uh, like a, a good tasting plants and we put them together and then we have a new plant that is good tasting and drug resistance that in a in a best case scenario and and then that's that's great we we can adapt to climate change like this we can tell everybody hey that's how to make a new plant resistant to drought just uh just do it now you have the recipe do it like this <laughs> okay And I mean, it has very big stakes in Vietnam because it's Vietnam is the second export yeah. producer of yeah. coffee. Yes, yes. But like you said, they they did hybrids already in some parts of Latin America. So is that are they in the same stage, like trying to understand why it has better yields, or is it something that is already figured out there? Mm, no, they. They mostly stayed at the uh, more at the agronomic part, so showing the differences, looking at the quality, uh, and not really at the, why they work uh, this way. Um, because first, the first idea was first to look at which one is the best and and how good it is, right? For mm. How good in quality, how good in growth, and are we sure it's good? And once we are sure uh, it's good, then we we can really look at why it's good. <laughs> And and uh, the thing with science, it also comes with money. So something I don't really like with science is like you need money, right? I think in most things you do in life, you need money. Uh, and then coffee science, because it's a it's a science that is that interests a lot of people in the industry of coffee. So I I guess that if you don't have uh, money to to look into like uh, what I'm looking at, like the behavior of the coffee or the genetics then you cannot do it. And then you do only like the, the research that the people who pay you want to do. Yeah, I guess. But wouldn't you be like supported a lot by the coffee industry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah like the coffee industry loves to, to, to get new knowledge and new, um, new results on the coffee and understand how it grows and why it grows like this, how to get high quality coffee with a high production. Because behind this, it's, it's like money, right? You, you get good coffee and then you sell it. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So that's okay. No, no. I mean that. So what happens I mean, so trying to understand the link between like your research and how can, can how can it have a, a impact, as you mentioned, in the real world? So then the research will be taken by like the coffee industry, or how how does the result of that research can be used by different stakeholders? Right, uh, that's a good question. Um... For example, in the case of the new hybrids we created, I mean, the, the scientists created, so the, the scientists were, were working closely with uh, private companies, and then the, those new hybrids, new varieties are co-owned co by both the scientist group and, uh, and the private company. So, so this private company has a high interest in 
in uh, having those varieties and planting them in their farmer's network, for example, or selling them uh, to other farmers or giving them away to other farmers just to have a higher quality coffee. And because, yeah, okay. But also in terms of even beyond the like, company stakeholder, even for individuals, like, I mean, coffee, like many, I, I drink two coffee a day. Many people drink coffee every day. Would you say people are aware of all the risks that are related to, I mean, all the risks for coffee regarding climate change? No, no, I think most people, most people live in cities. Uh, they get their food in a, in a store. Uh, most people don't even know how, how, how this food comes from. Like, like for example, are coffee beans coming from a tree or a plant? I don't know. <laughs> and they, so they are not very aware of how the food is grown, right? Especially like young people who are like young and grow, grew in a, in a city. And then stay there and go choose to buy food at the, at the store or drinks at the store. They, they have no idea how it was cultivated, how it was brought to them, where is it this price, um, how much money the farmers get. Um, yeah, all those things, they, they don't care. And I mean, they, they are not aware of it because it takes time, right? Like you cannot be aware of each product you buy uh, if you are not have a small interest in it. Like if you buy a chair, do you know where is the wood from? Do you know how it was made? Who made the the cover of the chair? This kind of things. Mm. How 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 can we as individual support the coffee industry? I mean, it's, well, it's a very broad question, but uh, I mean, what 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 would you say is the role of coffee consumers in of that? So every time you spend money, you tell society that you, you want this, you, you want more of this. So if you buy coffee, you spend money on coffee, you will tell uh, the world that you want more coffee. And so like companies who are selling coffee will continue to grow. Um, maybe the value of the company will increase. So they will make more money, etc., etc. And if there is no company selling this product like coffee, then a new company will come and create coffee and sell coffee to, to you and to the people who want it, to the demand, right? So the first way to, to tell the world that you, you like something and you want it and you want more of it is to buy it, to spend money into, in, in it. And then if we look more into coffee, coffee have different products, right? You have like, uh, like instant coffee, uh, specialty coffee, organic coffee, um, like a high quality coffee, fair trade coffee, all those levels. So beyond all those levels, you, you have a process, you have people who come to check that it really respects the level. Um, you have a more work and you also have a, you also have an impact usually on society or on, on the environment. So if you buy organic coffee or if you buy specialty coffee, you tell, you tell the industry that you want uh, the coffee to be made this way. So they will, they will continue to make it this way, right? And, and then it means that as a, as a consumer, you will have good quality coffee, like usually specialty coffee are very good. And uh, you're, you will also have like coffee that is usually more rewarding for the farmer. So the, the money that you will spend on this coffee, more of, of it will go to the farmer or the farmer will get more money. 
if you buy organic coffee, you, you usually know that it is grown in good conditions with less fertilizers or less pesticides. And so you can assume you have less impact on, on the on the environment. This is this is an easy way to, to have an impact on the world, to buy things you like and to buy things you believe in. I think the other way, which is a bit more time consuming, is to really go into to getting the information. Like it's not enough to, to trust a label, but you need to go more into what is behind this level? Can I go back from my, my coffee cup or my coffee bean? Can I go back to the place where it was grown? Can I check that it was really like this, right? And for this thing, I think it's very new. Like most people in the industry don't do that. We, we cannot really track back where, where is our coffee from, especially because it's, it's, a, it's a huge work of uh, logistics and uh, separating coffee, processing it in different ways and those kind of things. But I think that with the information we have, we could put a, a code on the package and then you scan the code and you have the name of a farm or something like this. This could be a, a commercial thing. But then again, can you trust this? Can you, can you trust uh, the brand? Can you trust that they are showing you exactly where the coffee is from? Um, yeah, so it's about trust here. Like you need to trust the information you get and you need to trust the label. Yeah. So yeah, so maybe being sustainable is about not trusting uh, brands and not trusting levels. Actually, looking really into it, it's a very time-consuming, and I completely understand that people don't want to do that. It it makes me think of a, of a TED video um, where there was one guy who decided to say thank you to everyone who was involved in his daily coffee. So he first went like to the barista, then he asked to the barista, like, what is the step uh, sort of before you? So he went to, I don't know, see the roastery and then see the I don't know, packaging, then the factory and then the I don't know, logistics company and then the cooperative of farmers and the farmers and the machine producers. And the, it took him like, I don't know, one year <laughs> to, 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 to go everywhere. You know, he was meeting trying to meet everyone and yeah i think just i mean he he's yeah i mean i think his key lesson was really like behind the cup of coffee and, and like everything there's so many people working on that so many steps um and yeah it takes so much time but i mean the, i mean this is what you try to I mean, what, like you said before, it's what you try to make people aware of. It's, it's why you are writing your medium blog, for example, because you learn a lot of things about coffee through your blog. Um, and yeah, yeah, yeah completely. I, li I like, uh, so this comes from my, my love of science. Uh, when I was young, I loved to listen to, uh, scientific mediators, like people who share science and tell it in a way that is easy to understand. So I really wanted to do this to give back what I what I received when I was young. So I always try to to share back the science. I also like to write in general. So so I started this blog uh, like uh, when I was doing my master. So first I, I only shared about environmental topics, and now that I'm doing a PhD on coffee, so I share about coffee. <laughs> So you started in how many years ago? Maybe three years ago. So yeah, three or four years ago. 
Did you think that your blog would last so long? I mean, it lasts as long as I want. Like, if I stop to write, uh, then it kind of stops. And, and even if I stop to write, it's still here, right? So mm. it's on the web. People can look at it or not. Um, it's there. <laughs> it's part of the noise of all the, the web of the internet, you know? <laughs> so, so going back to your childhood, you said, yeah, you were always super passionate. I mean, you really loved all the scientists who vulgarize the topic. I guess you watch a lot of C'est pas sorcier. Uh, oh, yeah. And um, so, it, so this was something that really came from a long time ago, this desire to also be like them, sort of, one day. Yeah, yeah completely. Yeah, when I was in high school, I used to teach science in a, in a truck with a, with a French association. Uh, it's a kind of truck where you have a lot of machines and and stuff inside and you can just stop any in any city in France and you can teach science on the street to children or people who pass by and I was like 17, 18 yeah. I also I think when I was this age I also worked in, in summer camps teaching science uh, like um, like biology or environmental science to kids so it's really something that I've been doing for, for a long time like trying to share knowledge or exchange knowledge Hmm. And you was it the same? I mean, uh, how 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 you mentioned your your YouTube channel before? Like, is it, is that also related to this, or it was comp something completely different? No, I think the YouTube channel was not really uh, related to to science, to the being curious or sharing. I think the, the YouTube channel came in, into two things, like the two main reasons why I did it. First one, like, was uh, the big, the big trend at the time for, for being a YouTuber and, and having a YouTube channel, right? So a lot of people did that. So I just did the same, you know, no, no specific reasons. And the other reason was more like I needed to find a way to, to motivate me to go out and discover the world and discover like Mexico or, or seeing it. Because I didn't have much motivation to to go out, just to go out to see it. So I had to have a way, like a kind of project to to see it and and have an output, like create something out of it, create something out of what I, I would see. So that's how I got the idea of creating the a YouTube channel. And a big problem with the YouTube channel was that it took a lot of time. So I learned a lot of skills, like um, video editing and. Uh, speaking uh, of voice and this kind of thing, like managing the sound and the video. But uh, for each video I would do, it would take like uh, six hours, seven hours of, of just editing the video. And it was uh, very, very time consuming. So now what I'm doing when I'm traveling, when I'm traveling, I don't take, I don't take videos anymore. I, now I, I take photos and then I, I make a blog, a blog post with photos of my, my trips. It's, it's quicker. It takes one hour and it's also very nice. It's interesting because you, the YouTube channel is was to motivate you to get content and discover the world. Why well, I feel like the writing is the opposite. You already have the content about coffee, about climate change, etc., and you want uh, to people to discover <laughs> the world through what you are writing. Yeah, no, actually, actually, you know, the blog is something kind of also very. Uh, centered around me because I use it more as a tool for motivating me to 
to look for knowledge and information. You know, there's this teaching or there's this learning methods. I forgot the name, but there's this learning methods that say that you should learn through teaching. And so I studied the blog really to motivate me to, to learn more. So when I was studying my master, I saw that what I was studying was very boring and not interesting and useful. So I wanted to do something different and study other things. And so I created the blog to motivate me to study other topics and also deepen what I would learn during my master's degree. Because if you, like, without this blog, I wouldn't have the motivation to look for the knowledge and, and put it together and organize it in, in, a, in a, like a readable, readable blog or output. So it was really using this uh, t- like learning methods, learning through teaching, and like um, looking for information, design- designing it, writing it in English, which was also challenging at the time, and then putting it together in a blog post. So yeah, it was more personal. I didn't. I, it's always good to have people who, who read it and see it, etc. But it was not the main goal. Like it was more like uh, using it as a motivation tool to to learn. You never had, I mean, did you have objectives in terms of audience? So uh, it was really sec- not in your objective. I remember when I said that everybody wants to make money, like coffee industry and everything. So in the blog, I wanted to, to, to try to, to make money out of it. But uh, same for the YouTube channel, actually. You know, trying to, I don't know, like make a bit of money and maybe make a job out of it. But uh, it never worked. <laughs> <laughs> but okay uh, i mean ha, ha, you've wrote more than 100 uh, how many articles did you write so far i think i should be around 400 now i have the list somewhere Red. yeah so 400 in four three four years so yeah so i have i have times where i write a lot i have times where i don't write much uh when i studied i was very motivated i used to write three articles a week when I was just starting. And then maybe after one week, I just got a bit tired and I stopped. Uh, and then I studied again and stopped again. Like since I started my PhD, I think I, I haven't written much. It was pretty busy. And, um, you know, doing a PhD is kind of stressful. So your mind is always focused on, on your PhD, like data collection, managing people, uh, like uh, broken machines that you need to repair, uh, sending the data, analyzing the data, uh, managing your supervisors who want this or that. Um, so it's always like very stressful activity. So I don't have like the, the, the mind space, you know, like the space where your mind is just floating in, in, uh, in emptiness and, and you, you get like inspiration. So I think during my PhD, I don't really have this, this mind space. So that's why I'm not writing much, especially fiction. I, I like to write fiction and Fictions are like so so bad, so difficult to get when when you are like so stressed. So and now I just you write about coffee, trying to yeah to put together the knowledge I get through reading or like motivating me to to read or to get more knowledge. Just write an article, um, yeah, like uh, like what I used to do in my master degree. And actually, for coffee, I like to put together all those articles at some point and write a book. So like uh, create a book and, and just put it on Amazon or some, some uh, like platforms. Yeah. So you don't have like a reason that you force yourself to, to follow. It's more like, okay, I have time this, I mean, these days to write an article or I have the, 
mind space to think about an article. So I do it. And so you don't, I mean, for example, for the podcast, uh, when I started, I forced myself to have one episode every week with Christmas end of year. I, I could, yeah, it was too difficult. So I did the long break. Uh, actually, it was the first one after this break. Um, so now actually I'm thinking to do it a bit like what you said. I mean, if that's what you do, I mean, more like when I have time and I mean, not follow a specific, I mean, yeah, like not, not force myself to have a podcast every week, but at the same time, I know that it's, you know, when you ask, I don't know, like writers, successful podcasters, they always tell you, yeah, the key is to, you know, to have one, to, to, every day to write every day to write an article every day to record a podcast all the time so you can publish podcast every week i think so it depends what on what, think about that yeah it, it always depends on how how you define success um like for my blog uh for me uh, i think when i was young and like doing a youtube channel or studying the blog i think i wanted to make money so the success would be defined by how much money you would make and then I think the, the the most money I made on the blog on YouTube I never made any any sense any money because I never had enough followers. But for for the blog I think the highest I made was like forty dollars a month. And then I just realized that oh it's cool but it's it's not much. And and since I studied my PhD I got my scholarship so I got paid every month. I don't have to to make money outside my PhD. So I'm kind of financially comfortable, especially that I live in Vietnam in the Northwest countryside of Vietnam, where I spend like $50 a month. <laughs> so it's really comfortable because I have like a French scholarship. And, and so, so I don't need to rush for money anymore. I just do, I just do writing just for myself and, and use the blog as a motivation tool yeah, to, to, to learn. And I don't really care about if people read it or not. So there are some of my articles that I co-publish with um, another platform, which is called Snippet. And uh, there are Indian students, high school students, some of them, and they, they have this kind of magazine they do. And they help me to edit and improve my English, improve the, the things that I tell in my, in my articles. And so for me, it's also an interesting learning journey. So, so uh, that's why I continue to, to write. Usually I mostly write for them yeah, right now. Like you really don't care about the number of audience? Yeah, I don't care. I mean, I can check at it sometimes, look at it. I think it's a kind of ego thing. Like you, you want to feel like you are listened to, you want to feel like people like you. So, uh, because it's your ego, so you look at how much people cited your work. You know, as a scientist, we, we more look at how many people cited my, my article, my paper. So sometimes for this, I look at one and one paper I published uh, for my master thesis and I say, oh, some people studied it. I'm so happy. I'm, I'm, I'm being successful as a scientist. <laughs> and then for my blog, I look at, uh, yeah, I look at how many people read it, uh, how much money I got. And uh, not many, you know, you don't have much reads. Like I think I got maybe 20, 30 people who read each article, which is not much. And, and so it doesn't change much. So at some point you get bored of looking at the statistics. <laughs> so your objective with the blog is more internal. So as you said, to put your thoughts into shape, to improve your English. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I feel I think there are a lot of blogs and there are a lot of people sharing things and and I'm just one of them and I'm, I don't expect to have millions of followers. Um, I just expect to have like few people. You know, in in your real life, when you when you are outside, and you you are at a party. You are not going to talk to everybody or share to everybody at the party. You are going to have maybe have a group of five six friends. Um, I think that's good for me. What is your uh, process? I mean, the, the, um, just to finish on this thing, like the, I, I, I still like when people read my, my stuff, when I have big views, when I have big money. If you want to send me money, you can send me money and tell me that you love what you read from me. I love it. Like it's good for the ego. Uh, it's, it's something nice, but it's, uh, it's not the top priority. Or I think the blog in general is not the top priority anymore i don't know uh it's not like the priority of the blog the main goal of the, the blog is not to make money is not to to get uh, to become famous it's just to to use it as a learning process i think when i studied when you yeah when i said i was a bit like yeah you like you want a big audience you want to feel like what you are doing have a huge impact and things like this i don't really feel like it anymore now i just like like I just like to the process of it. I just like to to create this uh, this article and, and learn through it. Yeah, only this. Did have the blog? Like, if you look back at the four years having this blog, did like did did I don't know how to formulate this question, but did un, like unexpected things came out of it, or did you got I don't know. I don't know, opportunities out of it or did anything, did the blog help you, you know, in your career in some way, except beyond the learning aspect? I think for PhD, people don't really like it. Like I shared it to, when I applied for PhD scholarship in Singapore, I, I shared it in my CV. It's still on my CV actually. And one of the interviewer uh, told, told me, like asked me about it and uh, he liked it a lot. Um, that's what he said and um, and that was cool I think uh, the blog was cool for that it's a good uh, uh, it's a good presentation of yourself if you publish interesting stuff there and um, and so yeah it's cool for that but then I didn't get the scholarship in Singapore so maybe yeah maybe the blog didn't work <laughs> <laughs> but, you know people use LinkedIn usually so use LinkedIn to to share the blogs or to have like a kind of uh, presentation of themselves or to show who they are, this kind of thing. To be, not to be famous, but to be recognized or so they, people know who they are and then they get hired more easily if they look for a job. Aren't you interested in, because I think there's one aspect of you don't care about the number of audience, which is, I mean, which is, interesting but at the same point I, i will say like the more audience you have the more people you know get your message and understand better about the coffee industry or what message you want to convey is it still something that you want to achieve to have more people understand because you said you, <coughs> you sorry you started because you wanted to you know vulgarize some scientific topics I know it's more about, about the learning process, but you still have this drive to vulgarize and make some scientific process 
understood by more and as many people as possible? Yeah, yeah. I think I think knowledge brings power, and if people have more knowledge, they have more power to decide what they want to do with their life. <laughs> That's it. So yeah, so I want to share knowledge, like scientific knowledge or any kind of knowledge. Uh, I think a diversity of knowledge is better. So they can have a diversity of ideas, knowledge, and awareness about the world where they live. Uh, and then they can take better decisions in, in their life for, for, for themselves, for the world, for their family, whatever they care about. Okay. So my last question on the blog, and then we... <laughs> We move to another topic, but I find it very interesting because you know I, I ask myself the same questions for the podcast about the audience, about the learning process, about why I'm doing it, uh, about what I want people to get out of it as well. Um, but yeah, what is your writing process? I mean, like, do you the writing process? Um, um, yeah. Like, do you open a medium draft and you're like, okay, uh, I have to write, or do you? No. You, when you wander around, you have an idea of topics and you'll write directly everything. How no. how does that work for you? So um, for for kind of uh, articles on on coffee or like science, uh, I usually have an outline. So. So I use I use the, the blog to 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 learn, right? So usually I ask myself one question about about plants or about coffee, like for example, how do how do tree dies? For example, why do tree dies when they dry, right? How do they die and why they die this way? And then I would look at some scientific articles or, or articles on the web about about the knowledge we know about why tree dies and how they die. And I would create then an outline on my on my blog, like on, on a word document, like a big titles, three or four of them. Then for each title, I would write like like 15 lines, about five, 400, 300 words. Um, I would do that for the four big titles, and then I would uh, organize it this way with small parts, and then I would see where there are missing points, where the knowledge is still missing. And I will look at, I will for, I will look for it on online. So I would go back to scientific articles and try to re reread the one I already knew to check if I missed some knowledge. And then if if the knowledge is still missing in the blog article, I would go back on the web and look for new new knowledge. And then and then I would uh, extend uh, the blog article. And in some cases, it's too extended. So if there is too much in one blog article, I would cut it into two, etc. Into three, if there's too much. Yeah. It's interesting. It's like as if you ask yourself a question, yeah, and and the your way to really learn and to consolidate yourself. It's right about it, and then knowing yeah, because that it's right forces right. you to have something presentable and and, and organized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, writing writing is a great process to organize your ideas. Like for me, uh, my English, for example, was pretty bad. Like before my master degree, I did my master degree in Germany. So it's not because uh, I didn't improve my English because I was in an English speaking country. I improved my English 
back in Germany because I was writing a lot. So there was a time where I was really into making money out of my blog and those kind of things. So I, I used to write like three articles a, a week. And this is a huge work. And uh, it means that I had to read a lot and write a lot and rewrite and edit. And just practicing, doing it a lot, it made me improve my English a lot. So it means that now when I speak, uh, I use new words. Uh, I use words that I would use when I write. And so my English is a bit more formal and uh, like nicer to, to, to listen to or to, to speak. Yeah, the blog was also one of the points of the blog was also to improve my English. <laughs> okay, so I also, yeah, I guess, because you, you just told me you, you'd like to do that in Vietnamese as well. So I think. That's, yeah, I want to do the same in Vietnamese. New cycle. Yeah, my Vietnamese is not, not good, as, as good as I would like to. And uh, I really want to, to improve my Vietnamese through, again, uh, having an output, so a blog or uh, some articles I would publish weekly somewhere. Yeah. Uh, so to, to move on on another topic, I wanted to ask you this. I think one thing I observe from you, so you can tell me if it's true or not, is that you really don't care about what people think. <laughs> yeah would right. you would you agree yeah i completely agree like i don't really care about what people think uh i think uh i have my own goals and uh, there are things i want to do in life or or, or yeah or for myself or for people uh but uh then i don't really mind if people agree with me if they like what they, i do or if they don't like what i do i, ju I just do it you know Because I don't like validation. I think a lot of people need validation to do what they do. And uh, for me, I try to avoid this bias of being uh, validated by others. So, so having people telling me that what I do is good, I don't want, I don't want this because then you, you only do what other people want you to do, right? Then I also don't want to do the contrary. So I don't want to do only what people don't want me to do because some people also do that. Like they, they always go against uh, what other people think. Uh, I used to be like this, I think in teenagehood and in my young years, uh, but I don't want to do that anymore. So now I just do whatever I do and I listen to what people think, what they, what they believe, what, what they, yeah, what they say, tell me. But um, usually I use, I use, I just keep it as a, what they say as a, as a knowledge, as an information, as a, like a, as a data point that I can then, Uh, reuse and reuse if I meet other people who give me other uh, other ideas and then I can like summarize this in my mind or in a blog post <laughs> and then I don't know change maybe some things I do because you, you are always in the society in a group of people so you always have to anyway kind of follow rules or or follow what people want right like like we said before on buying coffee sustainable coffee right um You always like uh, if people buy sustainable coffee you, as an industry or as a per someone who manages a company, you have to sell uh, like a good coffee or something. Like this. So you are always influenced by others anyway. So just I just don't really care what people think or what they they want me to do, but I, I still listen to it because because otherwise it's kind of dangerous, right? You if you always reject society, then you you kind of. Uh, Uh, risk your life, like you, you can get sick or this kind of thing, get accidents. So you always need people anyway. So just like uh, I try to have as few 
like uh, influence from other people that I can. When you said you you were like this in your childhood, you mean you were always doing what people didn't want you to do? Yeah, exactly. I was against. In some cases, I think for some cases, I was uh, always doing what I'm not sure now anymore. But I think I always tried to understand what people wanted me to do. And then I would say I would do things because I wanted to do what they said. I should do or because I didn't want to do what they said I should do. But it was always based on what people would say. And now I don't care anymore. I don't listen to what people say, what I should do or what I shouldn't do. Right? So it's more like now I take my own decisions, even though I still still listen to what people think, but uh, I try to to not be too much influenced by what they say. But how did you build this? I'm not sure if it's confidence, but how did you uh, switch from someone who listen? I mean, who care a lot about what people think to not caring about what people think? Um, I think traveling helps a lot. When you travel, you discover new society, different way of thinking, different set of values, uh, different ambitions, different. Uh, Uh, life plans, um, different way of thinking what is good and what is bad. Uh, and then and then you, you understand that each country is kind of different. Each people is kind of different. Uh, even in one country, if you move uh, along the social scale, you go to very wealthy people or to very poor people, you will have very different Uh, way of thinking. And then you realize that what makes people think the way they think is very often other people and the environment. And then that's how you build cultures. Like cultures are built on, on people being together and staying in their uh, eco box, eco chamber, and then repeating the same thing and agreeing because they repeat always the same thing. Right? Um, like Christmas, for example, or New Year, uh, things that everybody have done for a long time and that we are still doing because everybody are doing it. So those things are cultures and they are built on people interacting with each other and uh, agreeing that it's there and that they should do it again. And if you go to other countries, you, you have maybe New Year at different time. Like in Vietnam, we have New Year, like uh, the Lunar New Year, which is more in February. So um, you, you put back everything in, in, the, in that context when you travel and you understand that rules and uh, what people do is usually very, very influenced by the environment and by other people, by the other people that are around. Um, and then, then, you, then I try to, to make an abstraction of, of this and try to not be influenced by the people I interact with, or at least not too much. I'm this always... is maybe not completely clear in my head, maybe because I, I haven't really thought much about it, but... Uh, Uh, I can try to, to make a blog post about it. Yeah, yeah, time. you should make a blog post. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, um, I think it's nice. We spoke a lot about the past and what you're doing now. Uh, so now I want to ask you a few questions about the future, if, uh, if you're okay. And one question that I always ask to all my guests is... And it will be interesting uh, since you just said all of about that you don't care about what people think. How do you want people, uh, you know, throughout your life to know you for and remember you for? 
how I would like people to remember you, remember remember me for right? um I don't know I don't want people to remember me I like people to remember things I, I do or I did or discovered or those things can get my name on it I don't mind but uh me I'm just I don't I don't really think uh people should remember me as a person because uh, you know, we live only 100 years if we are lucky. Usually we live like less than that, 60 or 70 years. Yeah. So usually we, we die pretty quickly. And I think what, what stay around are like ideas. And I think I'd like people more to, to remember ideas that I would have contributed to. Um, like, uh, like, I don't know, like uh, equality, equalities or... Uh, gender equalities, for example. I think this is a very new, trendy idea, like having equality between women and men. And I think, I think this is a good. I mean, in my opinion, it's pretty good because uh, I I believe that women and men should be equals, and I, and I'd like people to to agree with that and and, uh, and continue to to push for this idea. And, and it's not me behind this idea. It's like a lot of people before me, a lot of people after me, and I just like this idea to, to grow. And, and so in some point in like 100 years, we get like women and men with the same salaries and men looking for children and, and those kind of things. So this is an example of idea. Uh, you can have other ideas like uh, an idea of uh, like, a, like more like specific idea of science, for example, like let's say if we have the idea of uh, this this group of uh, this behavior in a plant means that it's a uh, drought resistant plants like the way if they, the plant does that it's it's good for, for climate change if i can create this idea or find it somewhere and and push for it for other people to know this idea then then i'm good and people won't remember my name they'll just remember ideas maybe one variety will be called twin yeah, it would be cool. Like, uh, like you know, scientists love to put the, the name on the new species when they discover one. But, uh, but at the end, there is a name, but we don't, we don't really remember who was this person, right? So, so the idea is still there, but the person, like, not really exists anymore. So, we spoke about our common friend, Agathe, and I know she wants to ask you this question, so I will ask it to you. Is there? A childhood dream that you gave up? Wow, that's a tough question. Oh, yeah. Uh, when I was a child, I wanted to become a paleontologist to study dinosaurs and dead animals. But um, then I realized that uh, it was not very useful for people to know about dead animals and, and dinosaurs because it has not much impact. And also most people who are studying this kind of uh, topics, most of them later work for like oil industries uh, or like finding uh, like, you know, like petrol and oil, like uh, putting back the carbon in the atmosphere for climate change to get worse and worse. So I didn't want to do that. Just change. Yeah. My first question was about all the words that you call yourself. Um, so how, okay. So how would you describe yourself in three hashtags, but you are not allowed to use the words on your medium bio. Okay. So I think the first one would be dreamer. Let's put dreamer. 
then let's put uh, uh, like uh, I don't know like I, I don't know if there's a word for that but like uh, uh, kind of uh, being being part of things like being part of the world but uh is there a word for that? I think I put it, I think I put Earthling in my in my bio. So I cannot use this one. Uh, can put a, a ideas. No, is that a word to say people creating ideas or looking for ideas like an idea? You know, there are people looking for gold in the past, and is that like something for for this for ideas? Oh. Well, I look for ideas. It's the same idea digger. Yeah, uh, gold digger, idea digger. Okay, it's not beautiful, though, but it's okay. Go idea digger. <laughs> and oh, you can invent. Uh, you can you can do your research and write a, a another post. I, I, I gave you a lot of content today. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I always have good idea of content, but it's more like the time and uh, doing it that is missing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the third one would be I don't know. Uh, something about being go, get like going beyond things, like beyond. Like, is that a word for that? A noun? I think beyond doesn't really mean anything alone. Like oh, beyond. Uh, beyond, uh, beyond is nice. Okay, beyond is nice. Okay, let's get beyond then. Yeah, so we have dreamer, good. idea digger, and beyond. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, so for my last question, like, where can people find you and can people contact? I mean, why, why should people contact you? Uh, I mean, I guess for sure the Medium blog, uh, but is there yeah. anything else that you want to share? Twitter is good as well. You can get on my Twitter. At Tuan uh, Sarzynski. Yeah, I have a weird family name, Polish. <laughs> okay, so you have this Twitter, one, right? Uh, yeah, uh, or you want me to send it to you? The blog, yeah, I mean, I. We had Twitter, the blog. I, th I think uh, it, yeah, there's only one Tuan Sarzynski. So yeah, there's only me. Should be, should be easy. But actually, you have a very good SEO. If you type your name on Google, it's just, it's just you. Oh yeah, perfect. Yeah, because I have a French. I have, uh, sorry, I have, a, I have a weird name. So I have a Vietnamese first name and a Polish family name. And there are very few people who have this kind of combination. Uh, especially those really one, like exactly those names. Yeah. yeah. Like if you type my name on Google, uh, you will find one hundred other Din Long Fam. <laughs> yeah, because you have Vietnamese name, and a lot of Vietnamese people have, yeah. have uh, very similar names because Vietnamese language have accents, and they change words just by an accent. But in in Google, it doesn't work, so they they consider yeah, only the letters true. in Google. Yeah, you can change your name or have a pseudonym. You can create a new name. A lot ah, of like, Asian, like Chinese, a lot of Chinese and Vietnamese change their name to uh, to have a, to be more like Western friendly. I'm actually, you know, I have the dash between Din and Long, but Google doesn't <laughs> yeah. care. But it, it's what uh, makes me a bit different. Yeah, uh, yeah. Even the, the yeah the little bars, uh, yeah, Google don't care about it. That's sad. Yeah, 
Anyway, thank you so much, Tuan, for the conversation today. I think we spoke for one hour and 15 minutes or one hour, 20 minutes. Uh, thank you so much, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, go have a look to his blog. Even if he doesn't care about the audience, he will be happy. If I mean, I, I mean, I say I don't care, but it's more like it's more like I don't care on. The... You're not looking for it. Yeah, yeah, I'm not really looking. I mean, it's not the top priority. I, I love, I love people telling me that they love what I do. Like, it's a huge ego boost, right? But uh, it's not the top priority. Yeah, but uh, okay. people always love to hear that they. They do great things. So I, I, I love to hear that I do great things. If you want to tell me that I do great things, you love what I do, or that you, 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 you I change your life in some point with, uh, with what I said or what I, I wrote, uh, I'd love to hear it. Like, uh, it's uh, personally, uh, like, yeah, it's always good to hear. <laughs> okay. Okay, so everyone, uh, have a look at his blog, at his TED Talk also, The Coffee of Tomorrow. Oh, yeah, the TED Talk, you can share it as well. Yeah, TED Talk. Yes, yeah, yeah, it will be in the link. And yeah, no, send him a oh, message. Actually, uh, tomorrow, hey, I, mean, I don't know if you are going to share it on time, but tomorrow I'm doing a, another webinar. Tomorrow I'm doing a webinar tomorrow morning. So it's morning in Vietnam, but uh, so at, um, I forgot the time in, uh, in CET, in European time. But I think I'm doing it at 10.30 in the Vietnam time tomorrow morning. I'm doing a webinar on, uh, on coffee again. <laughs> coffee, coffee. But if, they, coffee. if they upload yeah. it on YouTube, I can add the link. Oh, exactly. Yeah, it's a will upload it on YouTube, so you can oh, add the can, link as well. We can do that. So yeah. yeah, check out everything and do send him a message if you liked his episode. And yo, uh, yeah, yo, <laughs> thank you so much, Tron. <laughs> thank you. Congrats for listening until the end of this episode. Of course, to best support Lifeline, you can share this episode to two of your friends and subscribe to the next episodes on any platform. See you next time.